the United States uh, has tremendous wealth. The wealth is under its feet. I've made that wealth come alive. We are now the number one energy producer in the world, and soon it will be by far. From Pacifica Radio, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, elsewhere in California on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE in Eureka, in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, and Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. Columbus, Ohio, WGRN. In Palinville, New York, WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR. New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ. Seattle, Washington, KODX. In Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR. Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM950, KTNF and coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com, but today you got me again. I'm Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show at, you guessed it, NicoleSandler.com. Thrilled to be along for a couple of days this week. We got a lot of territory to cover, even though these are the dog days of August and it seems like everyone's on vacation, but make no mistake, there's a lot going on. So we start with a look at what's happening in the news. I read the news today, oh boy. The 2019 G7 meetings in France are now history, and Donald Trump has returned to Washington, D.C., Although the media is spinning it as more successful than last year's G7 meetings, there's a big cleanup in progress on Isle America. First of all, arguably the biggest crisis facing the planet today is climate change. Well, Donald Trump skipped the G7's crucial sessions on climate change, biodiversity, and the devastating fires ravaging the Amazon rainforest. When asked if he had attended, Trump told reporters, I'm going to, in fact, it's going to be our next session. In fact, it had already happened, and that's why the reporter was asking that question. So what was the excuse? According to the White House press secretary, quote, the president had scheduled meetings and bilaterals with Germany and India. So a senior member of the Trump administration attended in his stead. The problem here, both the leaders of Germany and India were at that climate change meeting, as the photos showed very clearly, while the president's chair remained empty. Trump stepped into another pile of it, noting that the U.S. would host the 2020 G7 summit and suggested that he could host world leaders at his Trump-owned Miami Doral golf resort. Now, of course, critics argue that would be another clear violation of the Constitution's Emoluments Clause, which prohibits presidents from accepting payments from foreign countries, U.S. states, or the federal government. It's bad enough that Trump used the world stage to promote one of his golf properties in what truly sounded like an extended commercial. But then he lied again, saying that he wouldn't make any money on it. In my opinion, I'm not going to make any money. I don't want to make money. I don't care about making money. If I want to make money, I wouldn't worry about three billion to five billion. All the mendacity of it all. There he is, the president lying to the American people, claiming that he's losing three to five billion dollars a year by being president. Right. So Trump was, as usual, full of lies and contradictions on the world stage. He lied about a call from China claiming that they now want to reopen trade talks. China called last night our top trade people and said, let's get back to the table. So we'll be getting back to the table. He later exaggerated the claim. In fact, the president later said there were, quote, many calls, numerous calls, high level calls. The only problem China's foreign minister's office says 
It is not aware of any calls, and no one else from the Chinese government has come forward to say that they participated. The Chinese are saying that there weren't any particular... The Chinese are not saying that. Excuse me, let me me explain something. The vice chairman of China, it's like the vice president, the vice chairman made the statement that he wants to make a deal, that he wants to see a calm atmosphere, he wants it all to happen. So it was a foreign ministry statement, not a phone call directly to the president or his aides. It was actually a statement of China's longstanding position on the issue. So why is the president framing it as something new today in a call that wasn't a call, but just a general public statement? One of the things that it comes from is the back and forth and the changing statements from yourself. So that... Sorry. It's the way I negotiate. So my question is, is that a strategy? Is it a strategy to call President Xi an enemy one day and then say that yeah. relations are very no, good the no, next no. day? It's, and then, you know, I mean, it's gone back It's the way I negotiate. It's done very well for me over the years, and it's doing even better for the country. Trump lied about the reason he skipped the climate summit, but he was busted. Did you uh, make the climate session? Were there any conclusions that you could bring? I'm going to. In fact, it's going to be our next... In fact, it had already happened, and that's why the reporter was asking that question. So what was the excuse? According to the White House press secretary, quote, the president had scheduled meetings and bilaterals with Germany and India. So a senior member of the Trump administration attended in his stead. The problem here, both the leaders of Germany and India were at that climate change meeting, as the photos showed very clearly, while the president's chair remained empty. But we're not done yet. I guess it's not enough that Trump fell in love with one of the world's most brutal dictators, but then he lied about his wife also having a relationship with Kim Jong-un. First lady has gotten to know Kim Jong-un, and I think she'd agree with me. He is uh, a man with a country that has tremendous potential. Perhaps you don't recall ever seeing the first lady meet Kim Jong-un. That's because she has not met the North Korean leader. So how does the White House explain that discrepancy? Quote, President Trump confides in his wife on many issues, including the detailed elements of his strong relationship with Chairman Kim. And while the first lady hasn't met him, the president feels like she's gotten to know him, too. I can just picture the threesome. Ugh. On Monday, Newsweek reported that an attorney representing Congressman Devin Nunes of California is arguing that two parody Twitter accounts making fun of him are as dangerous as guns. The lawsuit alleges that the parody accounts called Devin Nunes's mom and Devin Nunes's cow constitute, quote, an orchestrated defamation campaign of stunning breadth and scope, one that no human being should ever have to bear and suffer in their whole life. Seriously. And they further argue that for Twitter to keep them operating is equivalent to negligently giving someone a firearm without determining if they're qualified to use it. Ah, just another day in Trump's America. And I have one more story to tell you about. The Democratic National Committee held its summer meetings last weekend in San Francisco. Among other things on the agenda, the idea of a climate debate. After the Resolutions Committee voted it down on Thursday, the subject came up again at the general meeting on Saturday. The final vote was 222 to 137, with the establishment wing of the party prevailing over the progressives and activists. And it turns out that an old colleague of mine was there. In 1997, I was co-hosting the morning show at 91X, an alternative music station in San Diego. One of the other members of the air staff was known as Maddie. We reconnected a few years ago and during the 2016 elections when Maddie was traveling the country canvassing and getting out the vote. Well, Maddie is now known as Matt Keating. He lives in Oregon, where he's an elected member of the Board of Education for Lane Community College and a member of the DNC. As such, he was there this weekend and I asked him to call in. So here we are today, both progressive political activists concerned, certainly still loving our music and our dogs, but concerned about the future of this country. And so um, I'm watching, looking at your Facebook page, and I see that you are a member of the DNC and you represent Oregon. And there you were in San Francisco this weekend for the DNC summer meetings. And we got, I got wind of a little bit of trouble in paradise. I think it was Thursday when the resolutions committee met and they struck down, um, uh, and tell me, I'm probably getting terminology wrong, so correct me when I'm wrong, because chances are I'm wrong about some of this. They struck down, the committee did, the idea of a climate-only debate. 
And then once the committee voted it down, there was still an opportunity for it to be brought up before the entire convention on Saturday, which is then what happened. Do I have that right? So they're in committee, and mind you, I'm not a member of the okay. resolutions committee, but uh, I, you know, as a member of the DNC, I, I did uh, observe uh, and participate in, in uh, that I supported, uh, I want to say at least seven, seven or eight uh, resolutions, um, uh, several that were actually calling for uh, a multi-candidate debate or forum on critical issues, including, but not limited to, uh, the climate crisis. Okay. And, and, and the one I was most proud of, uh, resolution number five, that uh, was promoted by the Washington uh, State Democratic Party chair, um, ultimately didn't, didn't go as far as, as we wanted in, in committee. Uh, the one that was moved forward in committee uh, was resolution number four, uh, and it still revolved around uh, a climate crisis forum, a multi-candidate forum or debate. Um, and that's ultimately that amended resolution is, is what came came to the floor. Okay. Here's the good news, though, Nicole. Yeah, is that what though there was a, a lot of, 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 of great debate um, the, our delegation from from Oregon stood united in, in, in the support of, of this uh, of this this concept of, of a climate debate or, or a climate conversation or a climate forum. And, and so the DNC as a whole, although there was debate about process, I'm convinced, it, and, and it's, it, it's reflected in our Saturday general session meeting, that the DNC as a whole, uh, our members are unanimous in, in recognizing the climate crisis. The problem is uh, that there are many crises that the GOP and Donald Trump in particular are exacerbating. And it's the Democratic Party that's working to try and, and fix it. Of and course. in particular, Oregon's delegation and the delegation uh, representing the Western Caucus are actively trying to find a way, uh, an abatement, an active abatement to the cl- critical climate crises. Right. And, and that needs to be done. Now, in terms of debates, I guess that it was a, a lot of semantics in, in terms of what's a debate and what's a forum, because actually, I, th- I believe next week or sometime this month, MSNBC has a climate forum, I think in the next week or two. And then CNN is going to have one as well. But the, but the, the way the DNC rules are written, the candidates can't be on the stage at the same time and they can't address one another. So it's like these other parades that have gone on at different events around the country where it's a it's a it's a one after another and each candidate gets like five minutes to talk and you know i'm sorry i want to hear them talk with each other i want to hear ideas being thrown around i want to hear a debate and they're saying no that's that's Mm -hmm. not going to happen here's the good news though it you know maybe there's an opportunity for a more substantive conversation a more fleshed out Mm -hmm. uh thought process uh, that may be a little more genuine than the kind of soundbite uh, attack each other uh, approach. You know, e- even the, the, you know, the, the, the debates can devolve, as, as you know, uh, and thankfully our, our Democratic candidates uh, are, are not swiping each other and, and, you know, have the eye on the, on the ball and the eye on the prize, and that's to, to take back the White House and take back the United States Senate, take back the House in, in 2020. Um, I, you know... Mind you, I advocated strongly for a multi-candidate climate uh, crisis debate, as did the rest of our, our delegation right. here in the Beaver State. Um, but uh, you know, here's the silver lining: a possibly a more substantive conversation through through this this forum process, uh, the two of which you alluded to uh, on MSNBC and CNN in September, and b the whole conversation has now been amplified in a way that it may not have been. Uh, had, had we just moved forward with those resolutions. You know, folks were passionate on both sides of, mm-hmm. of the, the conversation. But again, I, I recognize that it's the Democratic Party, certainly not the Republican Party or, or Trump's Republican Party as it stands, uh, who are even tackling the summit. The man doesn't even show up. Uh, he, has an, he, he is an empty chair at this point uh, when it comes to discussing climate on a global level and the, and the, and the crises that we're, we're facing, this existential threat. Uh, to to our planet, to all life that inhabits this beautiful planet. So, you know, look, has the conversation been amplified and elevated in a way that it's never been? Yes. Uh, Are, what is it? It's 20, it's your 21, 22, or 23, all all of the Democratic candidates, certainly all the ones that I saw Mm. uh, this weekend, are all on board for a, a, a greater climate conversation. Right. So... 
between between that and our our, our epic sunrise youth movement, mm-hmm. who are highlighting the issue with passion and vigor amazing. and energy. Um, pardon me. They're amazing. These kids. They're oh, they're so good. They were so inspiring. Nicole, after that, that resolutions meeting that we talked about at the top mm-hmm. of this conversation, uh, our chair, Casey Hansen, and I went out to the hall and thanked every one of them oh, awesome. that, we, that we could because they're our future. And, and, and they're fighting for a, a, an inhabitable – it's how wild is it that we have to say this. We're fighting for an inhabitable planet, fighting for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right. You know, I don't want to talk about process. I want to talk about solutions. Right. And Donald but- Trump has babies taking care of babies in the most deplorable <laughs> – and, and disgusting uh, uh, conditions on our southern border. We have climate refugees all over the planet. Sea levels are rising. Uh, ice caps are, are melting. No one, the, the, the so-called president of these United States is rolling back Obama-era protections. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is, it is, you know, the, 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 whether it's the, uh, the coal industry, whether it's, it's a, a, a lack of, of, of uh, or whether it's just gutting the EPA, we, or, or, or allowing for trophy hunters, yeah. allowing for big donors uh, to get passes to go and trophy hunt. Killing the Endangered Species the, the, Act. Killing the Endangered the, Species the, Act. I mean, really. And when you think everything, it, it, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah, at age eight years old, at age eight, I used to get zoo books and I would cry mm. reading about these endangered animals. And now we've been killing off 65% of the world's population yeah. in the last 40 years. There's something fundamentally wrong if the president of these united states can't recognize it yeah. it's just one of eight million reasons why he should be repealed and replaced <laughs> and i'm voting i'm voting not just blue no matter who i'm voting blue against you know who yes well so am i so am I. i'm voting blue against you know who as i did last time and you know I, I was not a hillary clinton fan um you know but but the the vote blue no matter who i've got a problem with that wait till the general for that we're still in a primary where i think it's our responsibility to vote for the best possible candidate and i think this year we're really lucky we've got a we've got a you know, uh, we've got riches here. I've got, um, uh, you, you can't see me, but I'm holding up my Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders action figures that keep me company here in the studio while I'm on the air. So, uh, you know. I have, a, I have a Warren action figure at my yeah, studio right awesome. here as well. There you so go. You, you know, I was in Iowa. In, so we, we actually connected. Both of us were Democracy for America fellows yes. back in, uh, what, 2012, 2010, 2010, I was. 2010. Yeah. Um, we're dating ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, and so I found myself working with MoveOn.org mm-hmm. and was in Iowa in early 2015 to try and draft Warren wow. as part of the Run mm-hmm. Warren Run oh. movement. Yep. And so, yeah. you know, it, it, she, was my, she was my first choice in 2015. Mm-hmm. After meeting all those candidates, Bernie was, was my second choice. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I put my life on hold for a year, of course. And and, and, and as you uh, alluded to, traveled the country, registered voters, yep, hired folks you up. Did. And then ultimately, Sec- Secretary Clinton was the only choice to, be, to beat Donald Trump. We can't let folks sit on the sidelines this year. Well, exactly. With a crop of great candidates we have, um, I'm confident that through our, our primary processes and, and our caucus processes, that the, the best candidate will rise to the occasion. And that team, that, that future president and and vice president of these United States will have to write a ship uh, because our democracy and our, the, our, our republic, our reputation and the entire the stake and livability of the entire planet are at stake. Uh, we say at every election, Nicole, this is the most important mm, election of our lifetime and future generations. With, life. Without a doubt. Hey, Matt, I got, got one more question for you. you know, obviously, we're on my show now. We're live on, on, on the Nicole Sandler show. But this week, I'm also guest hosting the Bradcast with Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen. And Desi does the Green News Report. Uh, and she's got a question for you. She said, can, can they explain what I imagine is a balancing act for the DNC? How to educate the public about climate change solutions and appease the youth voters they need without triggering Republicans and endangering campaign donations, which they'll need to combat the fossil fuel industry's tsunami of dark money. How's that for a question? That's a heck of a question. Yeah, we got to talk about we got to talk about this climate crisis uh, as, as to how it affects our livability, um, how it affects the economy, um, how how it affects our daily lives, and and how it affects our, our not just our, our coastal communities, um, but how it affects our our relationship 
uh, right in the heartland of our nation, our farmers' relationship with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Here we are in the hottest summer on record. Yeah. The Amazon, the Amazon is on fire. It's yep. the hottest, today's the hottest, in the city I live in, Eugene, Oregon, today's the hottest day of the year. Yeah, I believe it. it I, I can't even walk outside here. It, I can't walk it's, outside it's, here, it's and, and we have a hurricane headed our way, just in case anyone was wondering. It's now Tropical Storm Dorian, and the, the uh, here, hold on, for those of you watching on YouTube, again, I'll put up a graphic uh, that's truly frightening, because the cone of uncertainty shows it um, going uh, kind of right over Puerto Rico again, and um, like a direct hit on South Florida, almost right where I am, um, 8 a.m. Sunday morning. Just in case you were wondering. Oh. Yeah. So we have that to look forward to. <laughs> well, it's only the Democrats on, on this campaign trail, that, and, and only the, the 46th president of these United States, uh, with a D behind his or her name, mm -hmm. uh, are, are willing to address the, the crisis. And, yep. and, and as that Amazon burns, and as, as, mm. as we try and, and rectify this horrific, horrible mess that Donald Trump seems to continue to exacerbate and or ignore... Um, it, it's, it's only the Democrats who are willing to invest in renewable energy jobs and, and exceed those, uh, those fossil fuel jobs, even right here in Oregon. Um, it, it, it's a national growing trend. Investing in wind, wave, solar are critical, uh, and it's only the Democratic Party uh, that's going to help get us there. So yeah, great. Uh, I am fired up after this weekend. Uh, I know that the, the, some of our votes we took didn't quite go our well. But man, we have amplified the the, the need uh, to to find an abatement to, to climate change now, mm -hmm. and I'm thrilled that all of our Democratic candidates are taking this seriously and going to address this critical climate crisis. Absolutely. On the trail. Let me just say one last thing, though. I, I'm really disappointed. Is too uh, too calm a word in the DNC. I I, I put out my most retweeted. Um, tweet this weekend, uh, and I was actually tweet quoted in Newsweek, and um, it's amazing. Nina Turner retweeted me, and Sean King retweeted me, um, and I'm looking for the original tweet to see if I can find it. What I said, it here's what I wrote. I, I was retweeting something, a uh, BBC News article. The headline reads: "Amazon fires. Bolsonaro says Brazil cannot fight them." And I wrote, the planet is literally burning and the DNC won't allow a climate debate. I listened to that thing on Saturday, sitting here at my computer, my head shaking the entire time as Tom Perez was droning on and on. I was so disgusted with it. And my, my view, I'm glad, Matt, you're, you're, you know, you're a good party guy and we need people like that. I hate the way this party is run. Let me put it that way. I think Tom Perez is horrible. I think they don't listen to the people. I think they're running the risk of alienating the young progressive wing of the Democratic Party, which is now the energized wing of the party. Uh, and if they push Joe Biden over Bernie or Elizabeth, there's going to be a big problem. And so I just hope, you know, minds like yours at the DNC can have some influence on Tom Perez and the other establishment people who I'm, I'm so scared are poised to do the same thing as they did last time. They fixed the election last time in favor of Hillary Clinton instead of letting it play out naturally. I'm not saying Bernie would have necessarily won the primary, but they should have kept their fingers out of the till. I think the DNC's role is to stay neutral in a primary. They don't feel that way. And I'm really concerned that they're going to try to push us towards a, quote, centrist or what they call a moderate, which is what I call a conservadem, and it will alienate all the young people who are the ones who are activated right now? Well, some of the reforms we've fought for in my time on the DNC since 2017, including superdelegate reform, allows for voters in primary and caucus states to determine who our nominee is going to be. And unpledged automatic delegates, aka superdelegates, yeah. will only participate in the second round. Yeah, and, but and, and as a newly elected DNC member, I'm one of those superdelegates who advocated uh, to to roll back my undemocratic automatic yeah they shouldn't be there that at all came from the bottom Matt, up yeah but Matt they shouldn't I'm well, sorry it, they shouldn't be there at all we're looking what my prediction is we're going to have a broker convention because right now it looks like you got Biden Bernie and Elizabeth Warren 
the three of them at the top. I honestly don't think anyone's well, I wouldn't, gonna. I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule out. I, I hear you in regards to the, the polling that we're hearing in, in the traditional media, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. rule out some other great candidates. We have twenty-three candidates, and a lot more than just three of them are firing folks up. That's what I'm seeing. That energy is going to activate the grassroots base. And it's the grassroots base. It's the people powered. It's the youth movement. It's that sunrise movement. That's going, that, that's going to lead the direction of not just the Democratic Party, but ultimately our Democratic nominee. Well, I agree. The Democratic I agree. Party my, my, may, may be perceived at, at this juncture as top down, but yeah. fundamentally <laughs> we, re, we elected and reelected Barack Obama from the bottom up. Right. It is a grassroots people Yeah, but they movement. appointed Tom Perez. They appointed Hillary Clinton. Matt, I love you, and I'm glad you're, you know, you play the party game so well. I could never do it. I'd be fighting with everyone there. My my cautionary tale here is to the DNC to tell them to keep their distance. Let the people decide. They need to take their thumbs off the scale and let the people decide. Anyway, Matt Keating, um, hopefully we'll keep this dialogue going throughout the election. I, I love hearing all that you're up to, and, and, I, and I love that you're so involved. And, and thank you for coming oh, on today. Well, thank you. And I miss you, my friend. Thank you for doing what you do. <laughs> I miss you, too. Take care, and thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's my old friend, Matt Keating. You can check him out online at mattkeating.org. Still to come on today's edition of the Bradcast, a conversation with one of the 2020 Democratic hopefuls who's still in the game. Yep, he's been cleared to uh, participate in the next debate next month in Houston. That'll air on ABC. That's coming up next. I'm Nicole Sandler, guest hosting this edition of the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler in today for Brad and Desi. And the next of the Democratic 2020 primary debates is scheduled for September 12th and 13th in Houston. It'll air on ABC. We're getting down to the wire for qualifying as the lineup will be finalized at the end of the day on Wednesday. Most of the candidates are still fighting to meet the criteria. They've got to garner more than 2% in four of the DNC-approved polls. And they must also receive donations from at least 130,000 unique donors over the course of the election cycle, with a minimum of 400 unique donors per state in at least 20 states. Got that? Qualifying donations must be received by 11.59 p.m. on August 28th for the September debate. As of Tuesday at noon, 10 candidates have made the cut. Both Tom Steyer's and Tulsi Gabbard's campaigns claim that they have met the donor benchmark, but the polling is a more difficult obstacle to overcome. In alphabetical order, the candidates who have thus far qualified for the next debate are Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Andrew Yang. Now, when I first heard about Andrew Yang, it was from a listener of my show, and I was intrigued. Then Andrew Yang inserted himself into a Twitter conversation I was having, and I invited him on the show. That was in January. And Andrew Yang has surprised most everyone. I thought today would be a good time to share our conversation so you can hear in more than 60-second sound bites what Andrew Yang is all about. So, with no further ado, we head back to January 25th, 2019, to speak with presidential candidate Andrew Yang. I'm Nicole Sandler, in for Brad and Desi, on the Bradcast. I began by asking him about his background, how he earned his fortune and arrived at this place where he's running for president. I guess your background as an entrepreneur afforded you some success, and uh, you use that then for the greater good. Uh, tell us a bit about how you earned your fortune and then what you've done with it, what VFA is. 
Um, sure. So I was the CEO of an education company that grew to become number one in the United States and was acquired by a public company, the Washington Post, in 2009. Mm-hmm. And everyone listening to this remembers 2009. The country was uh, still going through the depths of the financial crisis. Uh, and it made me sad and, and dispirited, just like it made everyone else sad. And I thought, well, how did this happen? And what I thought was the cause at the time was we had, we had so much energy and talent uh, heading to Wall Street and Silicon Valley and not to Detroit or New Orleans or Birmingham or St. Louis or Cleveland to help build the next generation of American company. And so I quit my job. I donated 120000 to seed a nonprofit called Venture for America that recruits and trains aspiring entrepreneurs to work at businesses and then start businesses in Detroit, Cleveland, Baltimore, St. Louis. Uh, so the organization grew and grew to a point where it helped create several thousand jobs. I was honored by the Obama White House. Uh, and uh, I'm happy to say even now that I'm running for president, the organization continues to uh, to thrive without me. The new CEO is a woman named Amy Nelson, who is my number two. And it gave me a lot of joy to be able to leave the organization in such capable hands. Uh, so that's what I've been doing for the last seven years, um, helping create jobs in the Midwest and the South. Uh, and I, I realized during my time in these regions that the reason why Donald Trump is our president today is that we automated away 4 million manufacturing jobs in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Missouri, Wisconsin. Even as I was working to create tens, hundreds of jobs in these regions, I saw that the automation of these manufacturing jobs has been devastating to many, many American communities. And they have, and I agree. But do you think that there's any way back? I mean, you look at Trump, who's promising to, you know, repopulate the coal mines. We all know that that's not realistic. That's not the way of the future. That what should be done with the the, the coal miners is to retrain them, maybe, uh, uh, you know, um, retrain them in infrastructure or some something else where their talents can be utilized. Uh, but but we know that there's not going to be a return to coal mining despite all of Trump's bluster. Do you think manufacturing by humans is coming back? No, I don't. Um, but, but I want to point out something really difficult uh, for progressives and Democrats to acknowledge okay. is that we, we blasted away 4 million jobs in these regions. And I've been in, in these towns and communities and they are hurting, mm-hmm. like hurting to a point where now suicides and drug overdoses have spiked you. to unprecedented levels. Mm-hmm. And so Donald Trump shows up and says, we're going to turn back time. We're going to bring your jobs back. We're going to build a wall. All the stuff that is nonsense, uh, frankly. Yes. And even on some level, many of the people who voted for him know that none of those things are happening. Um, but the Democratic response was essentially to ignore the central problem, was to, to pretend that, de- that getting rid of 4 million manufacturing jobs actually shouldn't hurt anyone, and that these people can just transition to new jobs. When the reality is, and even when you were struggling with what you would do with tens of thousands of former coal miners, Mm -hmm. retraining is an effective solution for approximately 5 to 15% of displaced workers, according to the stats. And that's from government-funded retraining programs, when people are lucky enough to even have those programs to access. So we're talking about about 80 80 to 85% of workers who lose their jobs in these contexts will not be retrained for a new job. And that is why Donald Trump's our president today. We have to start owning the truth of the problems that got him elected. Okay, so what, what is the answer? What do we do about all these lost manufacturing jobs? And by the way, I just got to say, I, I, I had interviewed Bernie Sanders for years, long before he ever, you know, jumped into the, the presidential fray. And, um, uh, you know, one of the topics he was always talking about was the travesty of all the lost manufacturing jobs in our country. So it's not all Democrats who just said, oh, you know, it's the sign of the times. Yeah, but it's true. Bernie's, uh, Bernie's on top of it. You're 100% yes, yes. right. Okay, cool. So... Um, the, the, the big issue, though, to me is that uh, the conventional progressive prescription has been what you just described, which is education and retraining. Mm-hmm. And that sounds very, uh, very reasonable. Um, but when you start looking at the actual reality on the ground, you see that, for example, the average truck driver is a 49-year-old male with a high school education 
uh, and health problems because mm-hmm. sitting in a truck is very bad for your health. Sure. And so even if you were to give that person like, you know, some government funded certificate in some business skills, most companies would much rather hire someone younger, cheaper. <laughs> and, Tell me uh, about it. Um, you know, <laughs> I know that less well. experienced. Yeah. And, and then the former truck driver mm-hmm. might not want that job anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's like a, a massive um, misalignment with the needs of the labor market and the needs of some of these displaced workers. So the, the, the reason why we're all struggling with this set of problems, Nicole, is that the solutions are much, much bigger than most of us are comfortable talking about. Uh, and so to me, and you've seen this with my platform, I'm suggesting that we replace this current atmosphere of scarcity that Americans are laboring under, essentially a subsistence labor arrangement that most of us have. Mm-hmm and move towards a broader definition of citizenship and work and value and start declaring a dividend for all American adults of $1,000 a month, $12,000 a year. Universal basic income. Yeah, universal basic income. And we've talked about that on this program before, and I'm a proponent of it. I think it's a great idea. But you also know that $1,000 a month isn't going to do much to replace an income. Yeah, it's not. Um, and one of the misconceptions about it is that it's somehow a work replacement. Mm-hmm. In most instances, it's not a work replacement. But what it does do is it helps shield us from existential crises that happen. And we can see it when these federal workers, thank goodness yes. the government looks like it's reopening. Yeah, great deal. When the these federal work, workers miss one paycheck, then they, they fall off an edge. Yeah. Um, and when, when workers lose their jobs, like they... they uh, plummet into financial ruin. And so with $1,000 a month, it's not a silver bullet, but it does end up easing many of these transitions. Because if you look at the numbers, right now Americans are moving across state lines, starting businesses, getting married and having children all at record lows. Hmm. And $1,000 a month could help make our families and communities much, much stronger and healthier. It also helps to reward and compensate women for the work that's being done in communities around the country that is right now being unrewarded and unrecognized, which sure. unfortunately women do the vast majority of. Yeah, I hear you. And so, so universal basic income would be a sort of a, um, a, just a, a buffer, basically, against disaster, which so many Americans are experiencing now after missing just two paychecks. Um, it, it still doesn't answer the question of how, how we get these people back to work. Uh, but, th- but this is just one of many issues. And in fact, if people visit yang2020.com, uh, there's a page on Andrew's policies. And you've got the three big ones, universal basic income, Medicare for all, and human-centered capitalism, which is fascinating. But then you've got uh, you have on the issues and the page you keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I got to tell you, this is refreshing because so many candidates, whether it's for, you know, uh, your local congressional seat or for president, they don't put out all their uh, their positions because I think they they they, uh, they get away with more by being a bit cagey. You're putting it all out there. You're you're in fact um, you have a quote on the website from the Democratic Party leadership in Iowa. It says Mr. Yang is the most detailed and comprehensive set of policy proposals we have ever seen at this stage in the campaign. So you've been obviously been working on this for a while. How long have you been a declared candidate? Well, I declared in the New York Times. February of last year. So you were the first in, weren't um, you? Um, I think John Delaney preceded ah, me. Though okay. People tend to forget about John. Um, but I'm heading to Iowa for the eighth time um, next week. Uh, and i am now just started to poll there mm. where I was tied with Kirsten Gillibrand in the last poll. Um, so when you ask, how can we make this vision a reality? How can I win? Uh, it really centers upon, as you know, the voters uh, in Iowa and New Hampshire and whether they will embrace a new economic vision that helps put people first. Which I got uh, go I- to say, Iowa, Iowa and New Hampshire, I mean, just, just that alone, our whole electoral process, is it right to put the, the fate of the nation in the hands of Iowa and New Hampshire? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm an operator. <laughs> uh, and so you don't, uh, you know, you don't wish for uh, the lay of the land. Right. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. You, you, you deal with you what you got. Uh, 
Um, so as you know, our current system advantages those two states a great deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, you're doing the work that needs to be done. I notice that your name is included on some of the graphics put up by the TV stations or the articles written about the the candidates who are in the race. Sometimes you're there and sometimes you're not. How much of a challenge is it getting your uh, not only your ideas out there, but being taken seriously as a candidate? Well, you know, it's one reason, again, I'm grateful to have a conversation with with you in this context, because um, you know, in your case, a listener told you about me and mm-hmm. you, you may or may not have heard of me at that point. But when people talk to me or meet me, I found that they find that uh, I, I have a very clear vision for where we have to go. And I'm speaking very honestly about the problems that have gotten us to this point. Um, because technology is advancing in a way that's displacing more and more American workers. 30% of American malls are going to close in the next four years mm-hmm. because Amazon is just sucking up so much business. And working in retail is still the most common job in our communities around the country. The average retail worker is a 39-year-old woman with a high school degree making between 11 and $12 an hour. So we have to start owning the magnitude of these changes. We are in the third inning of the greatest economic and technological transformation in the history of the world. And Donald Trump is a symptom. He's the manifestation of the fact that we're in the third inning and we need to get our heads up and wake Americans up to the fact that we're going to need much bigger, more impactful solutions to get through this time. Well, most definitely. I'm still stuck on this. And and you talk a lot about automation. You put much of the blame of the, you know, the the mess we find ourselves in now on automation. I'm a victim of it. I'm a radio career person. I started in radio in college back in 1979. So I'm in my 40th year of radio. I've been downsized and replaced by automation. Radio um, did it years ago with an Orwellian named program called Profit, uh, but it was spelled P-R-O-P-H-E-T. But it was designed to make radio stations a profit whereby one person could sit in a studio in City X and and spend all day voice tracking air shifts for radio stations around the country. You hit a button and it goes, eliminating thousands of jobs. So the, the radio industry from the time I got into it until today has shrunk, you know, a hundredfold. I mean, there's yes. what, what job used to be done by one person. Now you've got uh, that one person doing 10 to 15 jobs, and I'm not exaggerating. Yes. And that's, being, that's playing out across the country. You talk about automation, putting yes. all these people out of jobs, closing factories. Again, what is the new economy that will get us working again? Yeah, so this is the great thing about the Freedom Dividend, which is how I rebranded Universal Basic Income. Okay. So if you imagine a town of 50,000 adults in Missouri or Florida, and let's say the work is starting to dry up, but all of a sudden, Andrew Yang is the president in 2021, we pass the Freedom Dividend, which, by the way, a plan just like this is in effect in Alaska already, mm, so we have ah. 37 years of data mm-hmm. showing that it works. Okay. And so everyone in this town of 50,000 gets another $1,000 a month. That's $50 million a month, $600 million a year, now in the hands of the people in this town. Now, what are they going to spend the money on? They're going to spend it on exactly what we all spend money on, which is tutoring and services for our kids, right. food, car repairs, the occasional night out, Housing. home repairs, health care. And the vast majority of that money is going to go right back into the local economy. And so what's going to happen is that those businesses are going to hire right there locally. They're not going to hire, you know, like fancy engineers. They're just going to hire the people that are there to staff the additional shifts at the garage and the restaurant. And that's how we can create a robust economy here is just by putting buying power into the hands of ourselves, the owners and citizens of this country. If you were to to implement the freedom dividend, it would grow our consumer economy by 8% and create 2 million jobs immediately, because that's just what would happen if we were to increase our own buying power in an economy the size of of our current economy, which is up to $20 trillion. We can easily afford a dividend for our citizens, and and it has the byproduct of creating millions of jobs. I I agree with you on that. I also agree with you on Medicare for All, which is another one of your major um, uh, platforms. Uh, You know, I'll I'll play devil's advocate here. I I know how we pay for it. I think we save money by going to Medicare for All because we have the most expensive health care system in the the world with the worst results. So we're in agreement there. Let me ask you about a friend of the show, Stephanie Kelton, 
who's an advocate of modern monetary theory. Are, are you yes. of that mind? Yes. And what about the Green New Deal? Are, are you in, in that? Also aligned well? in favor. Uh, you know, it's like it's clear that we need to move towards renewable sources of energy. I'm aligned with just about every progressive priority. Um, and one of the reasons why people find me interesting is that when I talk to CEOs and business people, they find me very reasonable, too. Um, because if I say to them, look, your businesses do better when consumers have money to spend. Mm-hmm. I'm a very interesting messenger for policies <laughs> that you and Stephanie uh, and your listeners, I-, I think, are aligned with because I see the same things you see, Nicole. Great. I, and I, again, I'm looking at the issues that you write about on the website, the, the freedom dividend, combat climate change, reduce mass incarceration, the opioid crisis, LGBTQ rights. Then you get to foreign policy first principles. Now, there's not a whole lot in here about foreign policy. And I've got to say, in the, in the universe of all the um, uh, issues that you're dealing with, I'm guessing that foreign policy might be where you have the least expertise Nobody's could be as bad as Donald Trump's, but what, what makes you presidential when it comes to foreign policy? You know, I, I think most Americans realize that we've made some tragic mistakes over the last number of years. And what we need most in a commander in chief is sound judgment and a sense of restraint. I mean, the, the fact is that if we are falling apart at home, which we are, we're not going to be able to project our values and achieve our goals internationally certainly not without very strong relationships and allies. So those would be my first principles uh, as Commander-in-Chief, our judgment and restraint. Um, and I'll, I, I will present myself as someone who has a problem-solving mindset and orientation. And if the American people see that my judgment can be trusted on domestic issues, I believe they'll see that I'll have the right people in place to deal with foreign policy. And I, and I believe that you are fully capable of hiring the right people. I just, you know, I think back to the, the guy there now who's, I'll hire the best people, and we see what we came up with. Um, it's why we need somebody who's educated, who, who uh, you know, who, who is the real deal um, and actually has made a fortune on his own and used it for good purposes and like that. So, well, I, I, you know, It's funny you say that, Nicole, is that some Trump voters say they're going to vote for me because they say, you are what Trump pretended to uh-huh. be. Um, and on the progressive side, uh, my, my applause line is the opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes math. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. I like that. that. That would make a good bumper sticker as well. So in terms of the campaign, again, Andrew Yang is with us. You can find him on Twitter. He's, uh, that's how I met him. And, and he, he inserted himself into a conversation and, and agreed to come on the show. And I so appreciate it. At Andrew Yang VFA and the website again, yang2020.com, which is, is filled with, um, statements on different policies again which it's this should be the rule this should be how every campaign website looks <laughs> yeah yeah I, I agree with you and it isn't so that's why i mean you, you can have hours and hours of reading here to find out where you stand on all these issues and i think a lot of candidates don't like to put it on in writing because they want to be you know malleable they want they want you to be able to project what you want onto this candidate and you're saying well here's who i am here's what i believe here's what i can do and, and that's that's adm- admirable. Um, are you ready for the ugliness? I mean, I, I, I know you're running as a Democrat, yes? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I, as I've already mentioned, I, in, in the last election, I was a big Bernie Sanders supporter. I did vote for Hillary Clinton when it came down to it because, you know, anyone but Trump. Uh, unfortunately, we know what happened. But my heart is with Bernie's ideas and his policies. As I said, I'd been interviewing him for years before he ever decided to run for president. We need this stuff and we need it out there on the debate stage. So this is what you're doing full time. You are running for president. You're all in. Yeah, of course. Um, You know, raised hundreds of thousands of dollars from tens of thousands of donors around the country. Uh, Average donations only $19. So we joke that my fans are even cheaper than Bernie. (laughs) Okay. Um, but you were ahead of the curve. I was also a Bernie supporter and then voted for Hillary Clinton. I agree that we need to solve the problems that Bernie brought to the forefront. Um, I would suggest that there may be some ways to address some of these problems that are a bit more modern and impactful. Um, but I 100% am aligned with the goals that Bernie held. Uh, we need to do much, much more to improve the lives of the American people. Have you heard anything from or had any discussions with uh, the DNC? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm friendly with me- several members of the DNC, and I, I was an appointee under President Obama. I was a, an ambassador of entrepreneurship, so I'm friendly with many senior Democrats, uh, and you know, many of them are excited to have me in the race. Uh, some believe I'm going to express ideas that need to be expressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also the first Asian American man to run for president as a Democrat, and there are some uh, people in the DNC that are excited about that. Great. No, I am too. I'm just wondering, you know, I, I would think, I would hope, I should say, that after 2016, they're going to be more um, welcoming with open arms of all comers, of anyone who wants to throw their hat in the ring. I think that's what primaries are for. It's when we hear the ideas and, it, and it's the time when people like you are so important because we, we, we can hear what's possible. Um, and, you know, and pe- the old adage, people fall in love during the primary and they fall in line during the general. I think never has that been more important. And I haven't always ascribed to that, the falling in line thing. I tend to, you know, uh, march to the beat of my own drummer. But the um, right now, with so much at stake, I think it is very important. So, so um, you know, we've got debates coming up and fundraising and you're, you're already got, you got a head start on most of them. Um, have you heard from any of the other candidates? You know, it's one of the really fun things about this process, Nicole, is that I've now met a number of the other candidates in Iowa and New Hampshire uh-huh. on the trail um, because, you know, that's where we all are hanging out. Sure. <laughs> um, and that's been a real joy for me. And I'm happy to say that uh, most of the other candidates are true patriots and leaders who just want to do right by the country. Um, uh, and I appreciate how ahead of the curve you've been uh, in identifying some of these needs um, and seeing that Bernie's voice was, was uh, one that needed to be front and center. Um, but I, I've enjoyed getting to know the other candidates. Uh, I, I have a vision that there are going to be a group of us that head to Washington, D.C. to try and solve some of these problems that got Donald Trump elected. Um, and my goal is to be in that group. Um, I'm frankly not that concerned about the seating chart. Uh, I just want to solve problems. Uh, I'm, I'm a parent. I've got two young kids. And I want to leave them a country that we're still proud of. Oh, from your words to the universe's ears. (laughs) Um, Andrew Yang, uh, thank you again for coming on, for letting us get to know you in at least a a small way, as much ground as we can cover in about 30 minutes. Uh, Again, I encourage people to um, head over to yang2020.com because there's a plethora of reading materials there. And you might learn something. And, And if nothing else, maybe it'll... It'll spark some questions, and we can open the conversation. Thanks, Nicole. Take care. Have a great one. Bye-bye. You too. Andrew Yang, an impressive guy to be sure. He'll be on the debate stage in two weeks from Houston, Texas. Well, the Amazon is burning, and Donald Trump skipped the session on climate change this weekend at the G7, claiming he's the best environmentalist in the world or some such nonsense. Stay right there, because coming up next, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com, holding down the fort for Brad and Desi this week. Thankfully, they left us a fresh edition of the Green News Report, and it couldn't come at a better time. We already heard on today's program from my old friend Matt Keating what went on at the DNC summer meetings in which the DNC establishment decided they don't need no stinking climate change debate. A lot of the young people beg to differ. I think we're at an impasse. What else is happening in the world of climate and the planet? For that, we turn to Desi Doyen. Take it away, Des. 
hectare after hectare of pristine forest just going up in smoke. International pressure and protests grow over record fires in Brazil's Amazon rainforest. Democratic National Committee shoots down climate-focused presidential debate. Keystone XL Pipeline clears another hurdle in Nebraska. Plus, President Trump denies a report that he wanted to stop hurricanes with nuclear weapons. The President of the United States floated nuking hurricanes. But he says he didn't? Yeah. Then he definitely did. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. David Koch of the zillionaire Koch brothers died. He was 79, but his family says they wish it could be longer, but at least he lived long enough to see the Amazon catch fire. <laughs> This is your Green News Report. Mourners are being asked in lieu of flowers to just leave their car engine running. (laughs) Okay, Desi Doyen, this crisis in the Amazon rainforest is getting worse and worse by the day, by the hour. But before we get there... First big storm of the hurricane season? Well, it could be. As we go to air, Tropical Storm Dorian has formed in the Atlantic, and residents of Puerto Rico, who are still trying to recover two years after Hurricane Maria, are stocking up on supplies, while the President of the United States has reportedly floated the idea of nuking hurricanes. Axios reports that Donald Trump repeatedly asked senior national security officials about bombing hurricanes with nuclear weapons to stop them from hitting the United States. Now, first, that will not work. Okay. And second, yes, it would spread radioactive fallout to land areas around the world. Yeah, but if that land area is Puerto Rico, that may not be a problem for Donald Trump. Good point. NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, even has set up an explanatory website that says, quote, needless to say, this is not a good idea. Well, apparently, there is a reason that they need to say it. Meanwhile, in Brazil... Large protests have erupted in large cities across Brazil and outside Brazilian embassies around the world, with demonstrators demanding Brazil's right-wing president, Jair Bolsonaro, do more to fight the record number of fires now decimating the Brazilian Amazon, the world's largest tropical rainforest. Most of the fires are being set by illegal loggers, farmers, and ranchers clearing land in response to Bolsonaro's policies to open up the Amazon for development. International outcry has succeeded in pressuring Bolsonaro to deploy military troops and two firefighting aircraft. At the same time, at the weekend meeting in France of the G7, the world's seven largest economies, G7 leaders agreed to donate $22 million to fight the record fires, which was dismissed by critics as paltry. Leonardo DiCaprio's foundation has also pledged $5 million. The G7 leaders also agreed to assist in funding a medium-term reforestation plan. French President Emmanuel Macron warned that destruction of the Amazon is a global issue because it absorbs a chunk of humanity's carbon emissions, but also because of its influential role in driving global rainfall patterns. Brazil's Bolsonaro criticized that assistance as an attack on his country's sovereignty. So let me get this straight. The seven richest countries in the world could only come up with about $22 million, and Leo DiCaprio came up with $5 million all by himself? Yes. That is pathetic, isn't it? And on a side note, at the G7 summit, President Trump skipped the meetings on climate change, biodiversity, and oceans. Yeah, said he was busy with a meeting that ran long with Germany and India, and yet somehow the leaders of Germany and India were able to make that climate change meeting. Go figure. In Nebraska, a major victory for the company behind the controversial Keystone XL pipeline, the Nebraska State Supreme Court has given the go-ahead to an alternate route for the Keystone XL. Environmental activists, Native American tribes, and local landowners have sued to stop its construction due to the threat of an oil spill contaminating their lands and water supplies. I can't believe we are still fighting about the Keystone XL pipeline. Well, TC Energy, the new name for the old pipeline owner TransCanada has not yet announced whether it will still move forward with that project. Bold Nebraska, a group opposing the pipeline, is asking 2020 Democratic presidential candidates to sign a pledge that they will shut it down if elected. 
Finally, the Democratic National Committee has voted down an initiative to hold a presidential debate singularly focused on climate change. That's a victory for party leadership and a defeat for environmental activists, demanding that the party do more to inform the public on candidates' comprehensive proposals to solve the climate crisis. And a defeat for the world. However, the DNC did approve a measure that will allow candidates to participate in non-DNC-sponsored climate debates. So for this generational challenge that will involve mobilizing the entire United States. Two climate forums are scheduled for September 4 on CNN and September 20 on MSNBC. So there's that. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. But it's all about taking the easy way out for you. I suppose no And with that, we come to the end of another edition of the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com. Thank you for hanging with me. We'll do it again tomorrow. Until next time, good luck, world.